from Nashville, Tennessee, welcome to Spotlighting the Indie Author, episode 34. Today's podcast is an author chat with Patrick E. Craig. Patrick E. Craig released two books in April this year, The Skeptor in the Isle, authored by Murray Pura and Patrick E. Craig, and a solo novel titled The Gettysburg Letter. I'm Kelly Winkler, co-host of today's show, along with... Hi, everyone. I'm Joseph Clay. We all are glad you joined us on the podcast that shines the light on the indie author with book reviews and interviews with a dab of writing wisdom tossed in. Speaking of writing wisdom, this show is packed with it. Along with chatting about Patrick Craig's latest releases, we'll be discussing the difference between indie publishing and traditional publishing. Patrick can give us some great insights since he has been on both sides of the aisle. He and I will also touch on research, ISBNs, agents, and more. Hi, gang. I'm Nina Turpseat. And Patrick E. Craig has also written a guide that will help indie authors. And during the show, Patrick will tell the listeners how to get this helpful tool full of great information. Now, just spotlighting the indie author's popular and often hilarious feature, 10 Off-the-Wall Questions. Today's 10 off-the-wall questions is brought to you by Chapel Graphics. That's graphics with an X. G-R-A-P-H-I-X. Chapel Graphics specializes in book cover design, interior formatting, and EPUBs, as well as bookmarks, business cards, or anything else you might need printed. Contact Chapel Graphics at chapelgraphics at gmail.com for all your design and printing needs. Visit their Facebook page to see samples of their work. Links will be in the show notes. Please welcome to the podcast, Patrick E. Craig. Patrick, ready or not, here's your first off-the-wall question. If you could ask one person one question they had to answer truthfully, who and what would you ask? I guess I'd ask my wife if she really loved me. <laughs> That's a good one. See, most people wouldn't have the courage to say that. Uh-huh. <laughs> I think the problem with that is they're scared of what answer they're going to get back. That's correct. Yeah. What's the funniest place you've ever fallen asleep? Um, I fell asleep on a scaffold three stories up while I was waiting with the guys on the crew. We were waiting for subsiding that was late and being delivered. We were already up on the scaffold, and so I just sat down and fell asleep. I hope you were strapped in somehow or another. I hope so. I <laughs> guess I was. Back in high school, what was the strangest thing someone could find in your locker? My pair of green suede beetle boots. All right. Now, I'm going to admit I'm not old enough to remember those, but I remember Elvis singing about blue suede shoes, so I think they're in the yep. same category. Same category. Yeah. I couldn't wear them at home because my dad had some disparaging remarks to make about them. <laughs> So I kept them in my locker at school, and I put them on at school. I was me and my friend who were in a Beatles band were the only guys that had green suede Beetle boots. Yeah, all right. Would you rather be able to erase people's memory or predict their future? I think I'd rather erase their memory. I don't know that I'd want the burden of knowing what was going to happen to them. If you had a personal mascot, what would it be? It would be a big five-pound. Rainbow trout. 
All right. Is there any? I've never been to Idaho. Is there any fishing up there? Oh man, <laughs> is is there any Catholics in Italy? <laughs> okay, I guess that huh. answered that question. <laughs> <laughs> we have salmon, we have trout, we have uh, bass, we have all kinds of different fish here. Oh, okay, all right. And some of the most beautiful wilderness in the world is right here in Idaho. If there was a sandwich named after you, what would it be? Peanut butter and raisin. Peanut butter and raisin. Okay. Would you rather have to grow, hunt, and kill your own food or eat it only Taco Bell for a year? Oh, man. Grow, hunt, and kill it. <laughs> okay. I have to agree with you there. If I eat Taco Bell, I'm, I'm eating Tums, drinking Pepto yeah, right. Bismol, and everything else. <laughs> what is the weirdest thing you've ever eaten? Uh, fried blowfish when I was in the Philippines. Have you ever been bitten or attacked by an animal? And if so, what was the animal? Yeah, I was attacked by a cat one time, and it really hooked me good, and I still have the scar on my nose. Now to the last question. What do you think would be more noticeable when being introduced to a stranger for the first time? Their shoes being on the wrong feet or missing a little finger? Well, since you probably wouldn't shake their foot, I would say a missing finger. Okay, Patrick, you and I will take a short break while Kelly and Nina inform the listeners about you and how you can be contacted. After that, we'll get serious and down to business. Our guest, Patrick E. Craig, is a lifelong writer and musician. Patrick left a successful music career to concentrate on writing and publishing fiction books. Patrick E. Craig soon became an Amazon best-selling author. In 2011, Harvest House Publishers published his Apple Creek Dreams series. In 2015 through 17, he published The Amish Heiress, The Amish Princess, and The Mennonite Queen, as well as the reprinted Apple Creek Dreams through his own imprint, P&J Publishing. In 2017, Harlequin Publishing purchased the Amish heiress for their Walmart Amish series. Patrick and co-author Murray Pura released a World War II novel, Far on the Ringing Plains, book one, in the Island series in 2020. Book two, The Skeptor in the Isle, was released April 16th of this year. They also collaborated on two anthologies of Amish stories written with Willard Carpenter, Jerry Eicher, Thomas Nye, and Amos Wise, The Amish Menorah, and other stories. And A Christmas Collection was published by Elk Lake Publishing. Patrick has also published two books in his YA mystery series, The Mystery of Ghost Dancer Ranch and The Lost Coast. He recently released a creative nonfiction memoir about coming of age in the high mountains titled Say Goodbye to the River, and his latest, the Gettysburg Letter was released April 1st of this year. Patrick and his wife Judy live in Idaho. They have two daughters and five grandchildren. You can contact Patrick E. Craig through his website, patrickecraig.com. Patrick can also be found on Facebook and MeWe. All those links will be in the show notes along with Patrick E. Craig's special guest page found on our website. Remember, some platforms will furnish the links in the show notes, but some will not. If your podcast platform does not, 
Don't sweat. All the links can be found in one location. Visit spotlightingtheindyauthor.com slash guest slash Patrick E. Craig. Now, back to Joseph and Patrick E. Craig. Thank you, Kelly and Nina. Patrick, it was mentioned in your bio that you are an Amazon best-selling author, a lifelong writer, and musician who left a successful music career to concentrate on writing and publishing fiction books. Tell us a bit about the music career. Well, my music career started, I joined the union when I was 14 years old because I was the only guy in my hometown that played string bass, so I got to go and play in uh, clubs and bars with the old guys from the union. All right. And then <laughs> my brother and I started uh, getting into jazz, and we played in a jazz group for a while. And then uh, we started getting more interested in rock and roll. And by the time I was in college, I was pretty much uh, committed to being in rock and roll bands. I'd been playing in bands already now for three or four years. And so I moved up to Seattle and joined one of the biggest bands up in Seattle. And played with them for three years and we moved to San Francisco and right in the middle of the Haight-Ashbury landed there in the summer of love in 1967 and got deeply into the music scene there and ended up playing with guys like Van Morrison and Buddy Miles and uh, Dave Jenkins from Pablo Cruz and Bill Champlin from Chicago and playing with a lot of different guys in San Francisco and then out at Marin County and Sonoma County. Finally joined a band in the 80s called the Tasmanian Devils and we had two albums on Warner Brothers and we won a, a local version of the, the Grammy, which is what they called a Bammy Award. And uh, we were the best club band in San Francisco. So we probably came as close to making it as you can without making it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I guess that's a good way to put it. Which I'm glad for, actually, because <laughs> I don't know if I could have handled success in that particular scene. Right. Now, let me ask you a question. Has any of that transpired into a, a book? Well, I'm actually working on two books. One of them is called The Resurrection of Whitey Fuzzwa. Uh, it's a collection of stories from the 60s and 70s in the music scene in San Francisco. And then I have another one called uh, Save the Last Dance for Me, which is a fictional memoir of my life in rock bands when I was a kid. Now to the lifelong writer. Is writing your full-time job? Well, I, I do work a couple days a week for my son-in-law. I write promotional material and I write ads and I also design websites for him. And uh, I kind of am the operations manager for his company. Uh, but most of the time I am writing. When I say lifelong writer, I actually wrote my first published article when I was in the second grade. And uh, I always uh, was interested in writing. I was the editor of every school paper I was on. And even when I was in music, uh, the thing I liked the most about music was writing songs. Uh, I mean, I could play pretty good, but my favorite thing to do was sit down and write songs. And I love to write story songs, not just, you know, uh, yummy, 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 I got love in my tummy. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> but real songs about real people. And so 
At a certain point, I got out of the music business and I went back to Bible college and I became a pastor and I was a pastor for several years. And I wrote some uh, nonfiction books, some teaching books. But in 2007, I retired from the ministry and I said, you know, I always wanted to write novels. And so I started writing novels in 2007 and I had my first one published in 2011. How many books yep. have you published so far? I've done 15 books since 2011. Now, let me do real quick math. That averages out more than a book a year. Yeah, that's okay. about right. Yeah, okay. That's good. I need to learn how to write as fast as you do. Huh. <laughs> I know you have had your works traditionally published and also have published as an independent author. Could you give us a breakdown of the difference of the two and which one do you prefer and why? Well... And here's the interesting thing. Most people think that there's a big difference between traditional publishing and independent publishing, but actually there's not because when you independently publish your books, you have to do exactly the same thing that a traditional publisher does. You have to think like a publisher, and that means that you have to produce everything professionally and you have to be fully on board with taking care of every detail so really the only difference is when you work with a traditional company they got staff editors they got proofers they've got uh, guys that will walk you through all of that process they've got a promotion department that does the promotion on your book but here's the thing even with traditional publishers these days they expect you to do about half of the promotion on your books. Hmm. And so when, when you're doing indie publishing, you're just the one who's responsible for all the same things that the traditional publisher does. And you have to make it as professional as the traditional publisher does, or people won't buy your book. That means having a class A cover. You have to have your book edited. You've got to have it formatted correctly, because I'll tell you, there's 10 million books for sale on Amazon and about 9.9 uh, .9 million of those are at the bottom of the pond. They'll never be read. That brings us to the next question. Some authors shy away from indie publishing due to being overwhelmed with interior formatting, the book cover design, and the proper formatting of both. Thus, they choose the traditional route, but get rejected and the story is never read by others. Off mic, you mentioned you have a guide that could help other authors publish a book. Tell the listeners about this helpful tool and how they can get their hands on it. I have a four-lesson teaching. I did it for the American Christian Fiction Writers. I also did it for the San Gabriel Writers Group. And I also published it as a book at one time. But I've got it in four lessons, and it'll walk you through everything you need to know about independent publishing. And if you send me an email to my email, and I think uh, Joseph will publish that for you, and say, I would like that information about indie publishing, I'd be happy to send you those lessons. All right. Okay, indie authors, you heard that. There, here's your chance to get free, good information. When publishing to Amazon or any other retailer, is it best to use their free ISBN number that they offer? or to purchase one from a broker. ISBN means International Standard Book Number, and that's the number that goes on your book anywhere you sell it. The best thing you can do is to get your own ISBN number. 
Uh, and the truth is, is that if you use Amazon's ISBN, if Amazon owns the ISBN, they own the publishing. So you never want to give your publishing away. And if you go through Ingram Spark and use one of theirs, the same thing will happen. They will own the publishing. So you can go to Bowker Identifiers and you can buy a package of 10 for like 356 bucks and you can get 10 ISBNs. I would recommend always, you know, biting the bullet, going the expense and getting your own package of ISBN numbers. And in the lessons that I have, there's a whole section on how to get ISBN numbers, how to do your own copywriting, how to do all the things you need to protect your book and keep your own publishing. You also mentioned off mic you were looking for an agent. Is an agent helpful? And why are you in search of one? Well, an agent is very helpful. Now, I've been writing in the Christian market for several years, and I wrote uh, several Amish books. The thing about the Christian market is that Christian publishers, what they really want is books for women written by women. And they want happily ever after romance. So if I'm going to write a book about World War II and write about some of the bloody battles of World War II, it's not going to be picked up by a Christian publisher. So I have an agent who sells my books to Christian publishers but he won't sell it to general market. He doesn't even know any general market publishers. So I'm looking for an agent that would be interested in representing a couple of really uh, well-known published artists. I work with Murray Pura, who's one of the best writers that I've ever, ever read. He has almost 30 books published now, and he's won awards as the best writer in Canada. And we write literary historical fiction that we would love to see published by a general market publisher. So any agents out there that would like to talk to us about that, we'd love to submit a proposal to you or let you know what we're doing or send you the books that we've written and you can take a look at them. But we really need to get these books out into the general market, kind of like Patterson or Grisham or Bradthor. That market well, and those readers is what we're looking to, to tap into with okay. our new books. All right. Now let's talk about the books that were released in April of this year. Tell the listeners about The Scepter and the Isle. Well, The Scepter and the Isle is the second book in a series called The Island Series that I'm doing with Murray Pura. And it's the story of three Mennonite boys who were raised uh, nonviolent and pacifist, but each one going through a thing in their life, they end up in the Marines after Pearl Harbor. Uh, One of the characters, Johnny Strange, has been abused in his church, and the church uh, put it under the rug, and so he's all twisted up inside, and he's got a lot of hate, so he joins the Army because he wants to kill somebody. The second kid is a good Mennonite boy who grows up in Montana, but then he starts reading about what the Japanese are doing in China. And he says to his mom, Mom, I don't ever want those people to come over here and do to you and my sisters what they're doing to the women in China. And so he joins the Marines. And the third guy is just a big old guy from Ritzville, Washington, who loves his country. And he goes and joins up and he says, I'll do anything you want me to do except kill people. I'll be a medic. I'll drive 
ambulances, I'll carry stuff, but I won't carry a gun. And so all three of these guys end up together on Guadalcanal. That's the first book. It's called Far on the Ringing Plains. And then the second book just came out in April, and it's called The Scepter in the Isle. And it's the story of the battles of Tarawa, Saipan, and Tinian. The third book is going to be the last battle of World War II, and that'll be Okinawa. Then we have six more books after that, three books set in Vietnam and three books set in the desert wars. And the sons of the heroes of the first series will be the heroes of the second series, and the grandsons and granddaughters of the heroes of the first series will be the protagonists in the last series. So we got seven more books to do in this series. Okay, so there's going to be a total of nine books in that series then. Yep. All right. How long did it take to write The Scepter and the Isle? Well, The Scepter and the Isle took us about three months. When we wrote Far in the Ringing Plains, we did it in 30 days. Now, let me ask you a question. Have you laid all the nine books out so that you know exactly what's going on, or do you lay them out as you write them and then tie them in later? We pretty much have an overview. We don't have them all dialed in, but once we say, okay, we're ready to do the next book, then we'll do a a whole research, we'll do a uh, an outline, a chapter outline, we'll do a timeline, we'll do the whole thing and get the book all ready to go before we start writing. Right now, Murray and I are doing a series of short stories that's going to be an anthology that will cover the time between uh, 1945, the end of World War II, and the beginning of the Vietnam War. So it'll be eight stories that actually go from the occupation of Japan through Korea and all the way to the beginning of the Vietnam War. And that's our project right now. Okay. How does that co-authoring work? You know, how did the both of y'all work together on the same story and everything ties up together? Well, you know, we had known each other for quite a long time. I first met Murray when I was writing Amish books for uh, Harvest House Publishers, and he was also writing for them. And we've kind of connected and we found out that we had a lot of the same ideas about what books should be like, how they should be written, the kind of style that we wanted to approach. And so we messed around with a few story ideas. We had kind of a Brad Thor thriller that we worked on for a while. And then we came up with the idea for the Island series. And so with the three characters, Johnny, Billy, and Bud, we did an interesting experience. I wrote all the chapters that feature Johnny. Murray wrote all the chapters that feature Billy. And then we traded off chapters for Bud. And the interesting thing is the people who have read the books can't tell who wrote what. Now, that's the way it should be done. Yep. I think it's just because he and I are kindred spirits, I guess yeah. you'd say. What audience is the Scepter and the Isle geared to? It's geared toward men, but the amazing thing is is that all the women who have read the book love the book. I had one gal who sent me a note. She's 74 years old. Her dad fought on Guadalcanal. And when he came home from the war, he would never talk about it. And if you tried to push him on it, he, he withdrew into himself. He wouldn't say a word about it. So she sent me a note and she said, I want to thank you for writing this book because I feel like for the first time I understand what my dad went through. Okay. So there was a lot of research that went into this to make it 
sort of an accurate historical fiction. Very. Okay. That's great. Yeah. Now to the Gettysburg Letter, another historical fiction tale. Tell us about that book. This is a true story. I was doing some research about the Battle of Gettysburg, and I came on this story about three people who were childhood friends in Gettysburg, two of whom became boyfriend and girlfriend, Jack Skelly and Jeannie Wade, and their friend, Wesley Culp, who moved away and then joined the rebel army. He meets his friend, Jack Skelly, at a battle down in Virginia, and Jack says, you got to take this letter back to Ginny. And so Wesley takes the letter back to Gettysburg. But before he can give it to Ginny, Ginny is killed and Wesley is killed. And so the letter disappears and nobody ever knows what happened to that letter. Well, I said, well, I'm going to play around with this. So I wrote a time slip story where 150 years later, the great-grandson of Wesley Culp's best friend, who also fought in the battle with him, comes back to Gettysburg for the reenactment, and he's struck by lightning and is taken back in time and actually finds himself in the battle with Wesley Culp, and Wesley shows him where the letter is hidden. I kind of love to take historical settings and put imaginary, you know, fictional things in there, and so I tied it all together with a diary that Ginny supposedly wrote. Ginny Wade was the only civilian killed in the Battle of Gettysburg. She was killed by a random shot from a Southern sharpshooter in her kitchen while she was making uh, bread. So I just thought, well, this is an interesting story. So I just wrote a little, it's actually kind of a vignette, you know, it's a, a little scene and there's a, there's a love story element and also a ghost story element and a little time slip and that's how that book came about okay now i noticed you mentioned it doing research on the battle of gettysburg and you also did a lot of research on world war ii for the scepter and the isle how much time right. do you actually spend researching i would say that when i'm writing a book half the time is in research there you go independent authors don't slack on the research it makes the story worth reading yep is the Gettysburg letter sort of geared to the female audience where the Scepter and Isle was geared for the male audience, or is it basically for both? Well, I think the Gettysburg letter is more appreciated by the female audience, but because it's got so much historically accurate scenes of, of actual Civil War battles when the Army of Northern Virginia is coming up and crossing the Potomac and then getting into Pennsylvania, the men will find that of interest too, because they're, it's very accurate descriptions of those battles. Tell the listeners where the Scepter and the Isle and the Gettysburg Letter can be purchased along with the price and formats of each. Well, uh, the Scepter and the Isle and the preceding book, The Far on the Ringing Plains, can be purchased on Amazon in print and ebook form they can be purchased at barnes and noble in print and ebook form they can be purchased on kobo apple uh, scribid and a couple of the other online ebook stores you can get print copies through ingram spark and i think the scepter in the aisle is 15.99 for the print copy and 6.99 for the ebook far on the ringing plains i think is 12.99 for the print and 5.99 for the ebook. What about the Gettysburg letter? 
Gettysburg Letter, I think, is $4.99 for the ebook, and it can be purchased in all the same places. By the way, that's one of the things I show you in my book is how to get signed up for all of those places that will sell your books. That's great. That's in the package that if they email you, which we'll put your email address in the show notes, that if they email you, you will get the, the package to them of how to do this. Correct. Okay. That's great. Do you have any plans to release either of those books in audiobook format? Well, that would be interesting. I have released one book in audio format, but that's one of my uh, kids' books that I did. It's kind of a, a Hardy Boys uh, meets Frank Peretti kind of book. <laughs> okay. <laughs> that's the only audio book I've done so far, and I've thought about it. It would be really good. Uh, either one of them, you'd have to find a really good uh, dramatic reader to do either one of those books, I think. Patrick, I enjoyed our chat and learned a ton. Thank you once again for being on the show and chatting with us. My pleasure, Joseph. All of us here at Spotlighting Any Author wish you and your family the best in life and may your books continue to be Amazon bestsellers. Well, I thank you for that. That will put the author chat with Patrick E. Craig in the can. I appreciate Patrick sharing his musical past. Can you imagine playing with Van Morrison while he's singing Brian Eyed Girl, which happens to be about me? <laughs> Joseph, you were right. This show had some great tips on writing, publishing, and more. I think it's great that Patrick is so willing to help other authors. That demonstrates really how tight-knit the writing community is. That it does. I don't know about other authors, but I'm requesting my free booklet on how to self-publish from Craig as soon as we are done. Kelly, remind me, and of course the listeners, how they can get this guide. To get your free booklet on self-publishing, Contact Patrick using the following email address, patrick at patrickecraig.com. Let Patrick know you heard about the pamphlet on spotlighting the indie author. Patrick has also informed us in the near future he will be offering services that include line editing, book cover design, and more. Follow Patrick on his social media accounts to see when these services become available. Of course, we'll also let y'all know in our monthly news segment. Patrick not only helps writers, but he also gives back to the readers. Patrick has followed the trend of the other authors who have appeared on the show by donating books to give away. In next week's show, we'll inform all of you how you can enter to win a copy of Patrick E. Craig's latest release, The Gettysburg Letter. But wait, there is more. You better believe it. We will also be giving away the first two books in the Islands book series. Book 1, Far on the Ringing Plains, and Book 2, The Scepter and the Isle, the latest release in the series. Wow, a triple play book giveaway. Don't get no better than that. All three books will be in paperback format and autographed, correct? That's correct, Sherlock. And one listener will win all three books. So make sure you listen to the next show. Till then, thanks everyone for listening to today's podcast. Hugs. Mm-mm-mm-mm-mm. And kisses from the brown-eyed girl, Nina. Three autographed books to one listener? Kelly, we may need to make this contest a little harder to win than the previous ones. Yeah, Nina and I have discussed this as we agree and came up with a brilliant idea. We sent you an email. I take it you haven't read it yet? Uh, no. Tell you what. Let me share some of my trivia knowledge 
Then I will head out and take care of reading all my emails along with getting my self-publishing guide from Patrick. I think that would be a good idea. We all need to be on the same page, you know. After you impress us with your weird and unusual fact, I'll tell the listeners about the next podcast. Heck, half the time, I'm not in the same book, much less on the same page. Okay, here we go. This one is sure to amaze and freeze your opponents on trivia night. Absolute zero. The temperature in which all molecular activity ceases is negative 459.69 degrees Fahrenheit. Oh, yikes. All right. I don't know if I've ever heard that before, but I really didn't pay the best attention in science class in school. And now as an adult, I wish I did. Our next show will air on July 1st, 2021, and will be a book review of The Gettysburg Letter by Patrick E. Craig. Remember, during that show, Nina and I will inform everyone how to enter to win the three autographed books by Patrick E. Craig. All of Patrick's books can be found on Amazon. The link will be in the show notes. That's all we have for you today on Spotlighting the Indie Author. Please join us again soon. We are already looking forward to the next episode. The opinions and or beliefs shared by any guest are not necessarily the opinions and or the beliefs of josephyclay.com, its affiliates, which includes spotlighting the indie author and its hosts. Music used in today's podcast. Show intro and outro music, country intro for podcast by Alex Man, courtesy of Audio Jungle. Show background music, Never Stop Dreaming by Crescent Music, courtesy of Shutterstock Incorporated. Spotlighting the indie author's feature, 10 off the wall questions. Intro, outro and background music, Lazy Frog Loop by Zaga 2, courtesy of Free Sound. The show notes will contain the following. Links to the books reviewed on today's show, along with the author's or guest's website and social media accounts, if applicable. Links to the websites mentioned in the podcast. Contact information for Spotlighting the Indie Author. The link to Spotlighting the Indie Author's podcast webpage. Links to the bias of today's hosts. Links to Spotlighting the Indie Author's blog. The blog will include the music and sound effect credits, the technical data on the recording of today's show, and more. Links to josepheclay.com's website and blog. This was episode number 34, a 2021 production of Spotlighting the Indie Author, a josepheclay.com podcast. <laughs>